All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on the 18th of February, 2020. And I do like to remind you each week that I write a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. It focuses on the young companies, the small cap companies that are finding gold and silver and other metals in the ground. It's a very exciting time uh, with gold uh, today hitting $1,600. It's certainly, the environment is certainly uh, better than many that I've had in the past and very exciting time. So you might want to consider signing up for my letter, uh, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to miningstocks.com to do that. Also like to put in a plug for Chen Lin. What is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? Chen focuses on biotechs as well as the energy and the uh, precious metals uh, mining shares as well. Uh, what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? Go to ChenPicks.com for that. And um, also Michael Oliver's uh, excellent newsletter, MSA. Uh, we'll be talking to Michael in just a moment. And um, I do want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. Also, Encourage you to send along your questions and comments. Whatever you have to say about this show, send it to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number for Taylor at gmail.com. Of course, we do want to thank and must thank our sponsors because they make this show economically viable. Today's sponsors Eli Gold Royalties, Great Bear Resources, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Lion One Metals, Novo Resources, and Sitka Gold Corp. I've titled today's show In Search of Monster Gold Deposits. Dr. Quentin Henning, Eric Coffin, Gwen Preston, and Michael Oliver are guests this week. Highly regarded exploration geologist, indeed, Dr. Quentin Henning is, and his, uh, his idea with regard to exploration projects is go big or go home, because actually the payoff uh, in discovering a large gold deposit or a precious metals deposit or any kind of deposit actually is much greater relative to risks than in exploring and developing something of a smaller scale. Risks are pretty much the same, but the payoff is much less. So Dr. Quinton uh, is really focused on looking for the monsters, and uh, he's convinced that the Tutavu uh, alkaline project that being, being explored by Lion, One's, Lion One Mines has a potential to morph into a massive high-grade gold deposit like some of the other very large multi-million company-making deposits uh, around the world. Quinton will be with me in uh, the second half of today's, uh, actually the second segment of today's show in just a few minutes uh, from right now after our first commercial break. Eric Coffin and Gwen Preston are two of the leading newsletter writers at the Metals Investor Forum. 
Uh, and it's always good to hear a couple of their best investment ideas in the junior exploration sector, and they'll be sharing those with us today. I'm really interested in hearing what Eric has to say about the most uh, the most important financial markets, like the treasury markets, the equity markets, as well as how those markets may be impacting gold's move. Uh, today, as I mentioned, it's over 1600 And I'm also interested in hearing Gwen's take on the market for financing these junior exploration stocks. You know, the, they live by financing. Until they find something of value in the ground, these companies have to rely on people that believe in their stories, believe in the ability to find deposits of value. Uh, so it is a high-risk, high-return game, no doubt. When you when you find big deposits, it can be very rewarding. But in the meantime, companies have to continue raising capital through the equity markets, and that's what Gwen is involved with directly herself. Uh, so I look forward to hearing what she has to say about the conditions for uh, for financing these junior exploration stocks, as well as a, a couple of her better ideas with regard to uh, some exciting new uh, ventures out there. Um, meantime, though, I'm glad to tell you that Michael Oliver is back with us today. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. It is good to be back, and uh, it's good to be back and have you back uh, on a day when gold has uh, breached the $1,600 level. I know you don't usually try to understand the fundamental dynamics underlying a market. You leave that up to others, and you let the markets do the talking. Uh, but do you have any thoughts today as to what might be triggering 1600 I know it wasn't totally unexpected. Uh, it wasn't unexpected at all from your point of view. But uh, any thoughts about what might be going on today? Not really. Uh, I think that the same factors are in play. Uh, I do think now the – by the way, we, you know, we fumbled a bit. MSA did. Uh, late in December, we thought that Bloomberg was ready to turn up Bloomberg Commodity Index. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it fumbled and pulled back, didn't make a new low. It's just still in its base action the last few years. We thought that might be a contributory factor for gold if it, if it could engage on the upside. And the dollar also broke below some things, but then it since rallied back up a percent and a half, two percent off of where it was in late December. Mm-hmm. So, but despite the fact that those two events didn't engage, gold has advanced back to the highs. Now, remember in January, we had the panicky news two days in a row. It was like Monday and a Wednesday, I think it was a, the Iran news. Yeah. And you had uh, amateur buying at that point where people were getting into the market freshly or covering their shorts more likely. And so you panicked gold on the upside sharply that day. And uh, then it pulled back pull back all the way back to 1540 uh, after reaching above 1600 in early January. And everybody thought, oh, well, that was a blow-off top in gold. And it's, you know, and we argued, no, it wasn't. It was just, it got overdone too quick on a piece of news that really is irrelevant to the major trend in gold. Uh, and sure enough, we fought our way back up in a nice, steady, strong-armed manner since then. And we traded over 1600 today, and I think the settlement on Feb Gold is probably going to be about 1600 Mm-hmm. Uh, that means gold's return to top tick, and it did it unemotionally. It did it resolutely. And that, that indicates to me that, no, 1600 was not some spike high. It was just a, a, a brief overrun back in January. And we've mm-hmm. now earned our way back up there in a, in a calm manner without mm-hmm. help from those two other markets, namely upturning mm-hmm. commodities and downturn in the dollar. I think another factor that's in play out there, of course, is the big one. It's the one everybody's paying attention to, and that's the U.S. stock market in particular, Mm -hmm. which is, in my view, the biggest bubble uh, out there. Uh, 
We've had bubbles in the past 20 and 30 years in the stock market, but they've been narrowly focused. Like in 2000, it was uh, .com. It wasn't the broad market. In fact, there was no blow-off in the S&P. It was only in the high-tech, the Internet sector. Uh, and then in 2007, when the market turned down, it wasn't really a bubble, except in real estate. This time, mm-hmm. it's actually the U.S. stock market. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we're in a unique position here where when this bubble breaks, and I think it's in the process of trying to right now, despite the steadiness today, that it's stalled up here. And I think any percent or two downturn from current S&P levels is likely to begin an evacuation of that market. There are a lot of triggers below the S&P right now that could really get it going on the downside. And they're not far below. And I think even a couple percent wobble at this point get that going. Well, what does that mean for gold? Well, it means uh, further evacuation of money from the stock market into the alternatives. You yeah. know what those alternatives are, U.S. government bonds, gold, and also to some extent Bitcoin. Um, those are the main alternative markets, and I think that some of that money is already moving, but in particular, it'll move a little more quickly and a little more ferociously <laughs> once you start to wobble the S&P back down. So I'd be watching the stock market right now for further signs of a boost to the gold market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the title of your uh, 360 weekend report was blow-off, price fragility, now a focus. And that's what you're looking at very carefully, I guess, Michael. And I, yes. You know, I, I, I look at this equity market day in and day out. Very often it starts out very weak in the morning, and then it rallies. It rallies late in the day. And here I see where, actually, I see the NASDAQ is back in positive territory at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dow is crawling its way back. Uh, S&Ps are down only 0.2% now. Uh, and so it looks like it's doing it once again. It just uh, it seems to defy gravity, doesn't it? But at some point <laughs> yeah, in time, you'd think it, it, yeah. If you go back to November, we, in early November, we issued a report saying the blow-off is beginning, meaning mm-hmm. a vertical move by the stock market. But mm-hmm. a blow-off is a negative event, meaning it's glorious while it occurs. But when yeah. it's over, it terminates the opposite way. It doesn't correct. It collapses. And so a blow-off is like the end of some glorious uh, bull market we've had for 11 years now, and we've gone vertical since November. But if you'll examine the price action since early November, we go up and we make a high, we pull back maybe 100 points or so, and then turn around and make another new high in the blow-off process. Mm-hmm. But you don't make a marginally higher high than the previous rally peak. You usually zap it up another 100 S&P points. Uh-huh. And you pull back again. Remember in late January, we had about a 120-point drop from mid-January to late January. Then in early February, we earned our way back to a new high. But this time, rather than exploding above the January high, we've nested above it. So mm-hmm. the tonal difference this time, this new high we made versus the January high, has only been a percent and a half or so above the January high. And we've spun our wheels up here for like a week and a half now. Mm-hmm. So if the bulls don't get it together and launch another 50 or 100 S&P points, and if instead they find themselves rolling back down through the January high, mm-hmm. when the S&P is 33, 37, then I think they got a problem. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm focused on right now, is actually the yeah. price action. Yeah, and it seems to me in direct contrast with what, how you were describing the gold market now, uh, hitting 1,600, falling back. And going back up to sixteen hundred in a non-eventual, in a non-emotional manner, and then uh, also doing it despite the fact that it had this wind at its face, this uh, up stock market, a, a stronger stock market, a stronger dollar. It is uh, pretty impressive for gold. It 
it would suggest that there's a lot of strength there in that market, I guess, huh? Yes, I think there is, and I think it's for great big reasons, not minor temporary reasons. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, Reasons well, we all know. Yes, indeed. Well, we have we certainly around the world we're seeing a, I think a, a weaker economic scenario than is uh, than is broadcast uh, on um, on the mainstream media here for sure. Um, and uh, and this virus isn't helping either with the supply chain being shut down in many places. I think a very serious situation potentially. I mean, I have no idea about the. Uh, about the epidemic, uh, whether it is or isn't, or, you know, what do I know about that? All I know is that uh, 70 million Chinese are being quarantined or set, uh, made to stay in their houses and can't go to work, and that has to have some repercussions, unfortunately, yeah. for the global markets, I would think. So, you know, you look at the charts, and the charts speak to you. They tell you things are happening, and then later you can go back sometimes and figure out what's happening. But, uh, Mike, I want to thank you very much for your insights. Again, always welcome. Uh, always uh, very much appreciated. And so we want to thank you very much for being with us again. Thanks. We'll look to do it in another couple of weeks or so, I suppose. Thank Thanks. you very Thanks. much. Thanks so much, Jay. Bye-bye. All righty. You bet. And, uh, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me to discuss Lion One Metals. It's a company that uh, Quentin believes may be on to a major gold discovery in the Fiji Islands. Lion One has performed well since Quentin's view of a large-scale deposit has been made known, and it is moving nicely once again today. So uh, if you're in the junior exploration market, uh, I think you won't want to miss what Quentin has to say right after the break. Don't go away. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again, Quentin Henning. Quentin is the technical advisor for Lion One Metals. It has a very exciting gold project known as the Tuvatu Gold Project in the Fiji Islands. And he is here today on behalf of Lion One Metals, as I say, which I am uh, pleased to have with me uh, as a sponsor as well to this show. It's a very exciting story. Lion One Metals trades in Toronto under the symbol LIO. You can buy it in the United States, as I have under the symbol LOMLF. 106.2 million shares out at $1.43 in U.S. money, giving it a market cap of about $152 million. Interestingly enough, uh, there's uh, management owns a big chunk of the stock, something like 
And the last I checked, the institutions hold something like 28%. So we're really looking at a company that has uh, 50% of its shares tightly held. Uh, so it's a pretty tight share structure. Until recently, the company's Tuvatu Gold Project was viewed as a modest-sized project with good economics. But now with a revised vision of the nature of the company's uh, project, the, the uh, geological views have changed somewhat uh, with regard to the project, and it's starting to evolve into something much larger, potentially much larger scale, uh, and that has uh, obviously has the market somewhat excited. It is uh, the, share, the share price has risen uh, significantly over the last uh, few weeks, and so I'm really happy to have Dr. Quentin Henning with me today. He is the geological advisor to Lion One Metals to be with us to talk about uh, what's going on on the Tuvatu Gold Project. Thank you for joining me again, Quentin. Certainly, Jay. You know, you have envisioned the Tuvatu Gold Project to be an alkaline gold deposit. When you were on the show a couple of weeks ago, you noted that alkaline gold deposits are rare, but when you find them, they are usually large, larger high-grade deposits. Wally Burakoff, uh, who is the chairman of this company, um, he's had a lot of success in his career. He was instrumental in developing the project to the point where it is permitted for production. And as I recall, the economics looked reasonably good, but now the market seems to be interested in your view that the Tutu deposit is of a different nature that bodes well for a much larger scale. I believe you refer to it as a, an alkaline deposit, as we just noted. Uh, and because alkaline deposits are relatively rare, not all the geologists that I know, in fact, very few of them have come across them. Can you tell our listeners in lay terms what an alkaline deposit is, and then what did you see uh, in Wally Burkhoff's project that caused you to think he may have a monster gold deposit on his hands? Sure thing. So alkaline gold deposits are gold deposits that are associated with magmas or melts, you know, that come up from the, deep in the crust, and they have a lot of alkaline metals. Alkaline metals, in particular potassium, uh, these these magmas can dissolve or carry a lot of gold with them. So when they come up and they start crystallizing, uh, the fluids that are in the magma, they, they don't have a home, so they have to start leaving, all right? And they carry incompatible metals with them, uh, gold being one of them. And, you know, these, these uh, systems, the reason they're so large is because these magmas, first of all, seem to be well endowed with gold, but then this process by which the gold is, uh, effectively flushed out of the system during the waning stages of emplacement and then, you know, forced upwards into little cracks in the ground above. Uh, that's what makes these things so special. It often makes them very high grade. So the things that caught my attention, uh, when you look at the style of mineralization at Tuvatu, the uh, little veinlets uh, often have uh, abundant visible gold. Uh, when I say little veinlets, they're often, you know, sometimes a millimeter in size, no more than a mil millimeter wide, more like cracks of anything. Uh, and that tells me that the process, that alkaline process, the one that, that creates these very high-grade things, is certainly alive and well at Tuvatu. And, and look, usually when you find this style of mineralization, it, it leads to more and more and more. So in, in this case, we've been very fortunate. So you began testing your theory, um, your hypothesis that uh – this is an alkaline deposit, and you put uh, the company went ahead and put down a deeper hole underneath the existing uh, pit constraint deposit, and you intersected 4.29 meters, grading 33.22 grams per ton gold. Aside from the high-grade gold content as a geologist, what did you see in that hole 
that suggested that you were onto an alkaline deposit? Yeah, the uh, the deep hole was a really our first test. It, it kind of tagged the bottom of the system. It's in a place where a lot of the uh, loads, we call them, are coming together like branches on a tree. Uh, the current resources, uh, we're actually looking at, at developing underground. Um, so this is uh, basically a continuation of that uh, underground resource and in a place where it seems there's a critical juncture between uh, one or more or two or more of these loads. So, you know, the 4.29 meters, a bit wider than average intercepts on the property, and the grade is certainly uh, very high grade. So um, the other thing that caught our attention was the, the brecciated nature of the mineralization. It seems quite uh, interesting and unique for what's been seen on the property to date. So it's like... Um like, let's say, branches on a tree coming together and you're looking for the trunk of the tree, perhaps? Is that what? Is that an analogy? Well, that's exactly right. You know, the, the, these uh, fractures that are filled with this uh, high-grade gold mineralization, they, they tap that deeper source. When that magma came up, it probably parked itself somewhere down in the crust, maybe a kilometer or so below ground, maybe a bit more. We don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it's that process whereby the, the fluids come out of it and then they get flushed upwards into the... Uh, you know, near surface environment in these fractures, it's the, the fluids have to follow conduits. And the mm-hmm. conduits, you know, if you lead them back down, it's kind of like following plumbing in a house. You know, as mm-hmm. you, you follow the plumbing down, 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 and then out of the house, you find it connects into something bigger. Yeah. On January 22nd, Lion One reported uh, the first part of a second deeper hole to be drilled in to test the, uh, the alkaline theory. What did you learn about that hole, and why was it only the top or the upper portion of it reported? Yeah, so we started the deep hole uh, with the intention of testing below the 4.29 meters at uh, 33.22. Uh, the, the hole had to be temporarily terminated uh, due to the capacity of the rig. Um, but the hole, in short, it started to flexure upward. And uh, in doing so, the torque, the, the ability for the rig to spin the the rods uh, decreased, and we thought mm, we better not lock the whole the rods in the ground. So we um, we pulled the HQ pipe out, but it is ready to go down with NQ and continue. What we learned from the hole, uh, look, the the top of the hole actually went through part of the Moroa loads, which are um, kind of a westward extension of the Tuvati system, and it actually uh, intersected the M2 load, which uh, in in the uh, drill hole, the news that we reported recently, it intersected uh, something like three meters of 13 grams. So mm-hmm. very pleased to see that because that's really the deepest intercept on that load, and it tells us it's wide open at depth. But uh, the hole did not make it down to the, the target yet. Now, what we did see in the hole, uh, there was, uh, you know, it was pretty stout uh, potassium alteration. Uh, so we're, we're quite optimistic that uh, the hole is headed in the right direction, and we look forward to continuing. In, in the meantime, we've got our third deep, deep hole underway, and the third deep hole actually comes at the same area, <clears throat> but from the east to the west. All right, so we're dr- it's steeper, uh, and we're drilling it right now. Um, so far, we have had no problems with this hole. And we think we can get this one down, uh, no problem. In the meantime, in the meantime, the NQ pipe, which is smaller diameter, is uh, due to arrive in Fiji sometime in the next couple of weeks, maybe three, four weeks, and um, we'll be able to continue uh, that that second deep hole. That will allow you. So you have the equipment to go deep, and how deep do you expect you may be uh, looking to drill in the near term? 
you know, most of these uh, holes that we have playing, the deeper ones at Tuvatu, test down in the realm of uh, 800 to meters to a kilometer below surface. Um, we're really looking to extend the resources, as many people know who uh, follow the story. The current resource goes down, to, say, 350 to 400 meters below the present surface. Uh, we want to try to double that, or at least demonstrate that the system is is persists down to double that depth. You know, that way we can show very quickly that this is a much bigger system just based on the area around Tuvatu, you know, let alone all the upside exploration outside. Look, we just got access to Navalawa middle of last year, and we did a heap of work there. There will be news on what we're seeing up in the Navalawa tenement to the north of Tuvatu very shortly. Uh, it's just a continuation of Tuvatu. It's a very exciting uh, point in time because uh, the property is absolutely ripe for, for more discovery. Yeah, does that include, then, I think it was something like a seven-and-a-half-kilometer strike length? Is that is that, that the, the extent of it? That's correct. So from from Tuvatu uh, northward, the, the guys have been out working in a corridor that extends, I believe, almost six kilometers to the north and northeast. Uh, and, you know, they're finding uh, outcropping veins of mineralization within the the road cuts that they're making. So uh, very optimistic the system will grow uh, dramatically over the next few months or a couple of years. Eh? Mm-hmm. And um, so how how soon might we get some more drill results? Uh, you're probably going to see, uh, okay, the drill results, uh, the, the third hole mm-hmm. is 150 meters down, I believe, right now, and they are double shifting it now, so things are going along faster. Um, if they start assaying that from, from top, we might have to release, you know, say the top bit first and then the bottom bit, which is going to target the deeper part of the mm-hmm. system. Uh, I would say over the next two to four weeks, probably see some results out of that. Uh, the extension of the second hole when we go back in NQ, if they get to drilling, I would anticipate being able to release results fairly, fairly quickly after that recommences because, uh, I believe they're pretty close to the target. I'd say they're within, 100 meters of the target there. So, uh, touch wood, I think uh, we'll have some, some news in, say, a, a month's time. In the meantime, we, uh, because the guys are up in Navalawa and working, you know, collecting surface samples and stuff, uh, I do anticipate some really uh, encouraging news out of that realm, too. So, stay tuned for that. All right. Um, so, we're looking at uh, potentially a, a very, very large uh, project, and assuming the exploration results keep leading you on the direction that you anticipate and that you see so far pointing towards a large-scale alkaline project. This is going to cost a lot of money to drill. Uh, how well-funded is the company right now to uh, to finance your current exploration plans? Yes, uh, so the company currently has uh, around $17 million Canadian. Uh, we did the financing in, I believe it closed late November. Uh, that brought in another $11.5 million attached to that is a warrant. The warrants are at dollar twenty. Uh, I believe exercise of all of those warrants brings in somewhere around sixteen or seventeen million. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, the company is being in very good shape. The the stock price is above the exercise price of those warrants. I would anticipate that money coming in. Uh, so I think uh, it's all systems go. I've told Wally uh, that I would like to see you know aggressive exploration here. Uh, to really flesh out the, the size of this system over the next couple of years. And uh, that's why we, we strategize putting, you know, getting this money in the bank, and we have plenty of money to work with now. Yeah, and certainly if you start to look at something that's large-scale, 
uh, with good grades, uh, you shouldn't have too much trouble raising money. And I can't imagine uh, that some of the big boys aren't somewhat aware of what you're doing there. But then that's uh, something I guess you'll comment on when it's when it's time to do so. Yeah, I know that you're a technical advisor on the Tuva Two project, so maybe this is not a fair question for you. Maybe it's one for Wally, but this is a company that Wally took to almost to the point of production where you have uh, you have uh, permits in place to actually produce gold there now, uh, you know, on a you know relatively small scale. I would think this is this certainly can't be a negative having that, and in fact, uh, maybe a positive somewhere along the way. Maybe as you're looking for the big monster, uh, at least you have a, the capacity to to move forward and on some scale. Or is that just? I mean, I'm just speculating. I don't know if it's fair to ask you to comment on it, but what are your thoughts if you care to share them? I, I would say it's absolutely positive. It demonstrates you can mine in Fiji. Uh, this project is fully permitted. Um, it's, you know, like you said, basically ready to go. While he was pursuing uh, a mine, uh, developing a mine at Tuvatu over the past few years, of course, the past few years have been rather bleak in the gold sector, difficult to raise money. But in spite of that, he was he has managed to, or they have managed to uh, prepare a site. In fact, I was up there about five days ago. And uh, the site preparation is largely done at this point. So uh, hmm. they're ready to rock and roll in, in that sense. They, not the not the actual uh, you know equipment and facilities, yes. but but uh, the site is fully prepped. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that uh, you know it's certainly an option that they're they're continuing to pursue. Uh, Lion One uh, really needs to maintain that path towards production. Uh, you know, but in the meantime, uh, wow, what a what an excellent story! You, you know, not only are you on the path to production, but you have this excellent exploration upside that uh, you know could show the thing could underpin a, a larger operation. So that's that's my job. That's my department. Yeah, it's a it's a really exciting story, Quentin. I must say uh, that we might be missing. I, I did want to ask you. I think another press release went out actually February five. You provided some news stating that the company has discovered a structural network at at Tuvatu. Uh, can you yeah. comment on that press release? Because I think that's that's probably very important. But from a lay perspective, can you tell us why? It is. Look, uh, when I started to help uh, Lion One, the first thing I suggested they do a CSAMT survey, controlled source audio magneto works. Big big mouthful of words. Um, look, it's basically an electrical survey. It looks at the properties of the rock below subsurface. You know, we're talking about their their electrical resistivity in this case. Um, what it shows you are uh, places where there's a contrast between one rock type and another. All right, and usually in those areas you get fractures. That's where you know fractures and faults love to focus is between uh, different different types of rocks. All right, so this basically this survey outlines or shows us these gradients, and uh, by looking at the gradients, interpreting them, and their surface expression, uh, we can see quite clearly now that this is a structural network that could host a very large gold system. It's basically a complex series of faults. Some are north-south, some are east-west, some are even northeast. And all of these are intersecting and uh, really converging in the uh, Tuvatu and Navalawa area. Um, right now, like I'll tell you, in, in my experience, alkaline systems, you know, Rattlesnake uh, Hills in, in Wyoming, uh, Spring Pole in Canada, the work of, you know, I, I certainly know Triple Creek here in Colorado, 
this type data is absolutely critical for advancing these projects, and Tuvatu is exceptional. It shows an absolute crystal clear picture of the structural controls. Mm-hmm. So that will really help you then in uh, determining where you put the drills, uh, where, where you do exactly. your drilling, right? So Precisely. Right. Well, it's really exciting. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to uh, drill results coming out, obviously, and, and the uh, ongoing project. I want to thank you so much for helping us understand this. Quentin, anything else you'd like to share with us before we conclude our discussion today? Yeah, look, uh, what we're trying to do at, at Mine One uh, is build a very uh, clear path forward in the exploration. You know, we've done all the things that we've told the market we're going to do. We've done the, the blag work in the Navalawa Caldera, mm-hmm. the CSAMT survey. Uh, we're, we're developing, you know, we're out there sampling and prospecting right now to develop new drill targets. Uh, the way this will unfold is, uh, you know, it's kind of twofold. It's two-pronged. We have the deep drilling under Tuvatu. That will show that that system continues at depth. Uh, and then we have the other front, which is the drill targets in the new area, the Navalawa area to the north. It's, it's part of the Tuvatu system, but it has not been explored yet. So we're, we're basically unlocking things at a brownfields level around Tuvatu, but a greenfields level around Navalawa, and uh, I would urge people to go back and read news releases so you can see the methods that we're pursuing to uh, to reach this goal of showing this as a multi-million ounce system. All right. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Quentin, for being with us today, and it's uh, it's really an exciting story, and uh, all the best. Uh, we'll look to uh, keep up with this story on an ongoing basis. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Eric Coffin and Gwen Preston, both letter writers with the Metals Investor Forum, will be with me. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their 23-kilometer, wholly-owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having recently made multiple high-grade gold discoveries, GBR is fully funded to complete a very active 200,000-meter drill program through to the year 2021. Stay up to date on what has been considered one of the best performing exploration stocks in the last two years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have a couple of good friends with me, both of whom provide excellent research and investment ideas for their paid subscribers to the newsletters. I'm talking about Eric Coffin, who writes the Hard Rock Analyst newsletter, and you can go uh, to hraadvisory.com to learn more about Eric's work. And I'm talking about Gwen Preston, who writes Resource Maven, uh, which you can learn more about by going to resourcemaven.ca. Both Gwen and Eric have a very good understanding of what it takes to make money 
investing in the mineral exploration sector and both articulate those uh, views very, very, very well, both in a written form as well as uh, on the show, which you'll hear in just a few minutes. And Gwen and Eric uh, will be speaking at the Metals Investor Forum along with other independent newsletter writers like Brent Cook, Joe Masmeter, Brian London, David Morgan, John Kaiser, Greg McCoach, my partner Chen Lin, and myself. And this Metals Investor Forum event uh, takes place right before the uh, one of the largest, if not the largest, mining conference in the world. That's the Prospector and Developers Conference, or PDAC for short. And so if you're in the Toronto area and uh, you're there on the 29th of, um, 29th of this month and the first uh, day of March, uh, you might want to check in. Uh, assure yourself a position. Um, it is free, but you do need to sign up beforehand. And you can do that by going to jtaylormedia.com. Just click on the Metals Investor Forum banner, and uh, your name and email will suffice to assure you a spot uh, at this excellent conference. Anyway, let's get to our guests, Gwen Preston and Eric Coffin. I'd like to start uh, with you, Eric. Um, I've been quite yeah. impressed. Uh, I've been quite impressed with uh, in listening to you at the Metals Investor Cor- Forum and also reading your materials. I've been quite impressed with your analysis of various financial markets. And, you know, I tend personally to look at larger macro scale models, economic models. You really seem to understand the moving parts uh, in real ter- in real time uh, better than I do. I must, I, I believe that's the case anyway. That's why I pay a lot of attention to what you have to say. So, uh, would like to get your idea about wh- what you're seeing in the in the markets today. We're seeing the, an equity market that was very weak earlier today. Seems to be coming back as it seems to do so often. On the other hand. Uh, Despite a strong dollar and uh, a, a continued strong equity market, we're seeing a lot of strength in gold today with gold spiking up over, well, I don't know, spiking is the right word. It's been stronger. It's uh, edged up above 1600 So just uh, like to get your views on the markets in general right now. I, I think we're seeing a continuation of a, you know, a, essentially it's a liquidity-driven equity bubble on Wall Street that's been going since about September since the Fed turned tail yet again, and more to the point, since they started their large-scale operations in the repo market. Um, yeah. I know Jay Powell and any number of um, bullish Wall Street commentators will tell you that what he's doing isn't QE. I don't really agree with that for two reasons. One is, um, I won't bore you with the details of the repo operations, but one one of those sets of transactions is not just primary dealers, but actually hedge funds, um, selling treasuries and getting cash from the Fed. That injects more money into the money supply, more liquidity into the market, and in the case of hedge funds, um, directly gives them cash balances they can lever up and buy stocks, and they've been doing a hell of a lot of that. And it's also, you know, it's, it's QE, quote-unquote, in the sense that the market accepts it as being QE. So mm-hmm. whether it fits a technical definition really doesn't matter because it's the, the effect of it is the same as QE. And so we've seen this run. It's like, what, four, four or 500 S&P points now. Uh, and today is a good example where the psychology has just gotten so, you know, so strongly about liquidity and what's the Fed going to do that we're, we're sort of in one of these bad news is good news markets where, you know, there was some, fairly some relatively bad news about the coronavirus in China. Ironically, tens of thousands of Chinese citizens um, getting sick and several thousand dying apparently wasn't enough to have an impact on Wall Street, but a revenue uh, 
you know, a revenue warning from Apple was enough to have everybody on Wall Street going, oh, I guess this virus is a thing, um, which I find a little disgusting, frankly, but, but that's how things went. Now, why does the gold price go up along with that and along with the dollar, which has been very strong? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, part of what you're seeing with this li- liquidity flows is you're seeing a lot of money drawn into the U.S., both the stock and the bond market, and those transactions are essentially people buying dollars as part of the transaction. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that QE and its associated um, strength in the bond market is doing is pulling yields down. Yeah. One thing interesting happened again last week, and that's that the U.S. CPI tagged up a little bit, a couple of percent a year. But when you look at the yield curve being pulled down by all this QE and, and probably fear buying in the bond market and compare it to the new CPI readings, essentially the entire yield curve has gone negative again. And by yeah. that, I mean negative real yields. And you and I have talked about this before. One of the best environments for gold and silver, precious metals, is when you have negative real yields. And we've got those again as of last week. And I think that's actually part of the reason you're seeing gold trade so well, even though the U.S. dollar has been strong as hell for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. But it makes a lot of sense. Certainly in, in real terms, I think the 10-year I noticed yesterday uh, was edged into negative real real terms uh, yield. So, yeah, yeah, uh, very, yeah, most very... of the yield curve is inverted, too, which is also, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that's probably got a few people getting spooked again because this is the third time now it's happened in a year. So that's not yeah. a good sign. <laughs> no, not a good sign. And you put together all that's happening fundamentally with the uh, uh, disruption of supply chains around the world having to do with this virus. It looks... Looks very problematic. Well, uh, okay, gold is stronger. Um, what are a couple of your strong ideas, um, your ideas for junior gold stocks or exploration well, companies? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll second the – I won't go into it because I know you just spent a bunch of time talking to my friend Quentin about it. But, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll second the motion just on line one and just say, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a stock I've followed for a long time. Yes, you I have. know Wally quite well, and I know the original – I knew the original CEO even better. Uh, but in terms of more current ones, I guess, one would be uh, Visa Resources, which is uh, VZLA on the venture. Uh, Visla has is acquiring essentially an entire silver mining camp in Mexico. Most of it's never been drilled. They put out a bunch of sample results, very high grade, you know, kilogram silver results, and very high, very high grade gold results in some cases, which I like. Uh, they've started a almost fifteen thousand meter drill program. The stock had a fairly decent move from forty cents to eighty cents, and it's pulled back to the sixties, and it's just kind of going sideways. I'm not expecting drill results for, well, not until next month anyway. I mean, they'd love to have them for PDAC, but I don't think they will. So I, I think it's probably going to keep going sideways here for a little while, but I think this is a really good opportunity to enter in this price range because I think we'll see a lot more sampling results. But I also think once the drill results start arriving and drill results always have a bigger impact, I'm expecting some, you know, multi-kilo type drill intercepts and those tend to have a really, you know, they tend to have a really big impact on a stock. And I think that stock's going to do really, really well this year. Yeah, I'm noticing there's only about 48 million shares out, too. So at uh, 60 cents, it's still a very uh, reasonably they just, they just raised priced, uh, 6 million yeah. at 40 cents. So they're, you know, they're, in, they're in good shape. They don't need to raise money for, for the work they're doing. They're just, I mean, I'm sure the right raise of the right price they take, but they don't need it for the drilling they're doing right now. They're cashed out. All right, good. So we should uh, they should be having some a regular flow of uh, drill results coming out. You expect then? 
Yeah, probably start. I don't think they're going to get them out faster next month. It's just mm-hmm. even this time of year, it doesn't seem the labs are that fast. But we should see more. That on as well as drilling, they've got several crews out doing sampling of all these old workings and and at surface they've actually found two new veins i'm expecting that kind of sample results probably sooner i mean we should start seeing more of those anytime but drill results themselves probably not until next month will visla be at the uh, metals investor forum and they will be they will be they'll be at Uh, at MIF and they'll be at pdac as well yeah do you have a second uh quickly do you have a second one that you might like to mention another name Uh, very quickly and this one's had a this one's had a fairly good move today. I think partially because of the gold price, partially because of a mutual friend of all of ours um, started talking about it today. Um, that's a company called Grand Portage, GPG. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Gwen and I both follow this stock. Uh, I, I've known the CEO for 30 years. He's a great guy. They've got a project with about 850,000 high-grade ounces. It's in Alaska, which sounds scary, but it's right at the south end of the Alaska Panhandle close to Juneau. Um, it's not. It's also not a very high elevation. Ian thinks he can actually start drilling this year in April. Uh, if he can do that, then he's got a, he's got a seven-month season, and that really kind of gets rid of the seasonality issue. And I just think in, a, in this kind of gold market, a, a company that's got a 10-gram-plus resource is going to get attention. And they they really haven't done any marketing or anything up until about a month ago. They were quiet for a couple of years, but they've, mm-hmm. they've, they're really kind of going out there. They're going to be a myth as well. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're going to get busy with the marketing. So I, I think they're probably going to have a pretty good year too. Oh, it looks sound very exciting. All right. Well, Gwen, uh, you, you're involved with not only writing a newsletter, a couple of different ones, I guess, depending on the sort of different levels that you provide service, different levels of service, but you've also started a financing opportunities uh, program that in which you help companies raise capital to put in the ground. Um, how are you finding this this market? I guess it's uh, certainly a lot easier to raise money now than it was a year or two ago, right? Certainly. Um, it certainly is easier. That said, it still isn't easy. I think there's a lot of teams out there in the junior exploration space who would still... Uh, who still do complain about how difficult it is to raise money. And fair enough, there's not, a, there's not oodles of investor capital, capital flowing to exploration stories. And that's just hand-in-hand hand with the fact that the biggest gains have still, at this stage in the market, gone to the, the majors, and we haven't had as much of the trickle-down effect as we'd like, and so the juniors still haven't, that we don't have a rising tide effect at this point. But mm-hmm. um, it is a lot easier now than it was a year ago, let alone two years ago, for teams to raise money as long as they're good. So they have mm-hmm. you know, a good team with the right geologic experience and good capital markets knowledge, and it's a good geologic opportunity, and they have a good plan for how to create value with the money that they raised. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I did start a new conference. I did my first one in the fall, and then I just had another one uh, last week. Uh, it's called Financing Opportunities, and I did it because, uh, you know, we all attend the Metals Investor Forum and, and similar events like that. And they're important. They're great events. But every company that's presenting presents their story as a market opportunity, which it absolutely is. We all buy and sell in the market, and that's an important part of what happens. But there's also this thought that if you need to raise money, it's like a detriment on the stock. But at the same time, a lot of the experienced investors are walking around the conference looking for financings. And why Mm -hmm. are they doing that? Well, they're doing it for the same reason that I'm spending a lot of time looking for financings, 
which is warrants, right? So warrants, Mm -hmm. when you invest in financing, you get a warrant, which lets you buy stock um, for a set period of time, a year, two years, at a set price. So if if the stock does well, you can add to your position at an earlier, lower price. Um, And warrants... I mean, I'm biased, obviously. This is, clearly, I set up this conference because this is my perspective on the space right now. But I think we're going into a, fair, a couple of strong years in the gold space. As that happens, we will get more of that rising tide effect. Money will become more available. And as that happens, warrants will disappear. Um, and so if you want to position to really profit as this gold market gets going, I think you need to be sowing your seeds right now, which is investing in financings and getting warrants that will likely pay as um, things improve down the road. And so, yeah, I just, I wanted to put that argument out and I wanted to invite investors who like to participate in financings or want to learn about participating in financings to come and meet companies that are financing that I think offer a good opportunity. And, Yes, we had eight companies at the event, and it was a range. There was two porphyry explorers, there was a silver explorer, there was a uranium explorer, and then there were a couple gold explorers focused in Nevada, BC, and Yukon. So it was a a range of companies. Um, But the common thread, of course, was that I, at least in them, saw clear value opportunities. So some of them were new listings. People like to get in it when a company is newly listed because that's often a good way to get in at a low level. No, no guarantees, but often a good way. Uh, most of them have fairly tight share structures, which is a nice way to boost your mm-hmm. odds of per share upside on success. And what I think is most important is they all have clear plans to deploy the capital that they're raising into defined exploration programs um, that gives that opportunity for success. So if there's success, not only do your shares appreciate, but then your warrants are in the money and you can add to your position down the road. So I think warrants um, are an important aspect for the market right now. They will disappear as the market strengthens because there won't be the need to offer the incentive of warrants mm-hmm. to get investors to participate in financings. And so that's, uh, yeah, that's somewhere that's something, an area that I'm focusing on uh, quite a bit these days, and I'm, I'm having fun with it. Yeah, I, I guess you uh, probably are. And I, these are, would be companies that you've vetted, companies that you've studied and know something about and have some confidence in before you, uh, before you invite them in, I suppose, right? Certainly. So um, Eric has a similar um, system with his subscribers where there, mm-hmm. I have a group of my subscribers who um, have the opportunity to participate alongside me when I invest in private placements. So when a company, when I find a financing that I like enough that I'm putting money into it, I secure an allocation and give those subscribers, those premium subscribers, an opportunity to participate alongside. And my conference is basically just that in a day for anybody who shows up. So they're all financings that I'm participating in. So yes, they Mm -hmm. certainly have met my bar of requirement and Mm -hmm. I'm just giving other people access to these at which they may not realize offer opportunity. They may not have the knowledge that they're happening, right? IPOs are hard to know Mm -hmm. about. Um, So it's just about getting my network, using my knowledge and network to help more mm-hmm. subscriber or more investors um, benefit from the financing angle of our, of our space. Right. Well, it certainly strikes me as this would be a good time to uh, definitely take advantage of, of, those, uh, of those warrants because there, there will be a time when this market gets uh, overheated. I don't think it's uh, another couple of years away yet, perhaps, but 
then the opportunities won't be as great. And uh, at some point in time, I hope someone will help me know when to take some money off the table on these uh, <laughs> on these because that's been one of my problems in the past is I've stuck with the market, the bull market. I mean, there are some people out there that seem to know when to uh, you know when to fold them, right? And uh, I, I know, right? That's stuck, a but, skill. But, but before we before we run out of time, Gwen, I've, we've got to get a couple of your top picks and what. What you are, what's really have you? What really has you excited now? And and maybe there are some, a couple of them that you're taking to the Metals Investor Forum. Maybe not. But what, what, uh, what has you most excited now? What are a couple of your top, top ideas? I mean, I have uh, there's, there's a lot of stocks actually that have me pretty excited right now. But I would yeah. say that um, one that I'll highlight is Core Mining. That's K O R E. Uh, this is a team that has. Um, two projects in California called Imperial and Long Valley, and then an exploration project up in British Columbia. They have a they have a significant resource. They've got five million ounces across those projects already defined. Um, but what I like about Core is that it's a two pronged approach. So Imperial, which is their more advanced asset down in California, it's a permitting story, and there's a long history there uh, that we will not get into right now. It's a permitting story. I have good confidence that their odds of success there are high. Um, but the market never likes a permitting story. So while yeah. that grinds along and adds tangible value as it progresses, that's great, but the market isn't going to care, which is why it's great that they also have Long Valley, which is an exploration, um, a gold exploration project in California, and FG Gold, which is a gold exploration project in British Columbia. So I think from the way that they're approaching those two exploration assets, they have some pretty interesting ideas about um, both of them are places that have known gold, have small resources defined. Um, both of them have low-grade resources defined, but there's lots of high-grade intercepts within those low-grade resources. So this team has come in and come up with some new ideas for how to understand that high-grade. Um, so basically, CORE, to me, looks like an opportunity for you know, an advanced permitting situation to slowly add sort of fundamental value while there's opportunity for splash if there's, you know, drilling success on these exploration projects that have known gold, but where new geologic interpretations look likely, you know, definitely give you the potential for, for some exploration success. So I like the opportunity at core mining for sure. Right. Uh, 78 million shares and uh, about 29 cents, something like that in Canadian money. So, uh, okay, we have time for another one yet. Uh, another idea? Sure. If you want, um, uh, for those who really like exploration, who like to speculate on exploration, I'll name Libero Copper and Gold. So Libero is very inexpensive right now. I think it's probably six or seven cents. But um, this is a company that has a couple projects. It was founded as a copper um, project accumulator is, is what I'll call it. So they have a, a fairly big copper porphyry um, down in Colombia um, that, that will be valuable in and of itself when copper comes back into into vogue. Um, but the near-term excitement is all focused on uh, what's called Big Red, which is in the Golden Triangle in British Columbia. And this project has, this was, you know, covered in glaciers until recently. And so it's only, this is the first team to really come up and Take a look at it while it's been accessible, and it's got very high-grade golden soil anomalies and high-grade um, rock samples um, and large anomalies and coincident geophysics, and it all looks really good. But this is all still very early stage. That's what's been done so far is, is soil sampling, talus sampling, rock sampling, and geophysics. They wanted to try tried to drill last summer, but by the time permits happened, 
uh, it just it got too late in the season and they weren't able to drill. Um, so that opportunity remains intact and the whole speculation is now sort of premised on what happens when they get out there with drills this year. And since they tried to drill last year, the drill pads are set up so they should be able to step right into some of these targets and start drilling. So um, with these really seasonal projects, like in the Golden Triangle, where the mm-hmm. season is short for exploration, one way to do it, to be blunt, is to buy Libero today at six or seven cents and ride yeah. it while speculation builds of what might happen. And you can almost always ride these things up quite a bit. Whether you hold on until results or not is up to you, whether you know, your confidence in the target. Um, but there's good opportunity just in the speculation as the seasonality comes closer. Um, but then I also really like these targets. I think, I think Big Red um, looks like an exciting possibility um, in a gold-rich area of the world. So that's, that's another one that I'll mention. Yeah, indeed. 19 targets I see in the headlines. I'm looking at the uh, at a recent press release. 93 million shares out, uh, nine and a half cents Canadian. That's about seven cents and seven and a half cents in U.S. money or something like that. But uh, all right. Well, mm-hmm. thanks. A, a couple of great ideas. I know that you you and Eric both have a lot more. And at the Metals Investor Forum, you'll be uh, bringing some of your favorite stories there. Um, I look forward to seeing both of you there. And um, most of, many of my listeners, hopefully, will some of them at least will be there. Those that are going to the PDAC certainly should stop in and, and pay a visit, uh, and be sure to sign up first. Uh, go to go to uh, J Taylor Media. Click on the banner. Uh, your name and email address will suffice. Uh, Eric and Gwen, thank you so much uh, for being with thanks, us today. Thanks and, for uh, having me on there, Jay. Oh, absolutely. Thanks, it's always Jay. great to have both of you. Uh, your ideas are, are always very much worth uh, paying attention to. So thank you very much. Well, that is all the time we have this week, folks. Uh, next week, John Kaiser will be with us. Dr. Henning is back again. It's time to talk about Irving Resources. Alistair McLeod uh, will talk to me about his latest essay titled Coronavirus and Credit, A Perfect Storm. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Lion One Metals, one of 2019's top performing gold stocks, is geared for aggressive growth in 2020. With drilling underway at its fully permitted high-grade Tuvatu Gold Project in Fiji, one of the last high-grade gold deposits of its kind anywhere in the world not owned by a major gold mining company, Lion One trades in the USA on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF and in Canada under LIO on the TSXV. To learn more about Lion One's world-class high-grade gold potential in Fiji, go to liononemetals.com. 